is uh, calcination. And again, it's working with uh, fire, working with the emotions, uh, through thought. It accentuates thoughts, really, working with thoughts. Um, did you ever have a day where you felt like that? I mean, it's... <laughs> <laughs> it's about fire and about feeling that you're being burned up by fire, really. In other words, you've got a plan, and everything in the world seems to go against it. Um, or you you want to do something, and all of a sudden, the universe seems to be against it. Um, I was a good friend of William Shatner, who had, uh, who still has the biggest ego in Hollywood, and uh, and this was his constant problem. His ego was so huge that he constantly fought the universe and trying to have his way. And uh, 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 an amazing guy. He had some experiences that we worked with. I wrote a book about it called Captain Quirk, but his whole life was calcination. He got to the point, he used to tell me that if you want to get screwed, just tell your plans to God. Or, or if, if you want to not succeed, just try to do something different. And ideas like this. And he was such a perfect example of calcination working in the universe. You put out something false in the universe and it's going to be burned up. That's basically what calcination is about. So if you put this huge ego out there, it's going to be a big bonfire and, and nothing's going to go right for you. And Shatner really believed that. And his life when I knew him was just a disaster. Just a disaster until he finally found the spiritual path, which I had very little to do with. But um, and all of a sudden things started to work right for him. And you know what had happened when he started making fun of himself? When he started making fun of his ridiculous ego, and everything changed. The movies came. He was making like eight million dollars a movie. Everything he found a person he loved. Uh, of course, everyone he loves is a blonde woman and they all look the same so I don't know what the, what's going on there but he has that, that archetype right now he's living with another 34 year old blonde model who looks the same as his previous life, wife who looks the same as I couldn't you can't tell any of them apart he's still hung up there a little bit but but you can tell on the Priceline commercials and that's what he's doing he's really making fun of himself before he was serious <laughs> and he had nothing but problems and it's like a revelation to him and it's all about ego. I don't think he's ever going to come out of this calcination, but he's the guy I always think of as an example of calcination and getting burned up. Calcination, and just a, I'm just going to go through a few of these drawings for you to simulate some of the symbolism. Uh, theoretically, I shouldn't even be talking about these drawings because they're communicating things that are um, more subtle. And another calcination uh, drawing showing the, the king, which is a symbol of the ego, uh, the king inside his firebox. Um, it's a time when really uh, you're in the darkness, but you're naked. You're letting yourself be there and be burned through the process alchemically. In other words, it's a deliberate calcination. You're deliberately exposing your ego and your falseness of your world um, to that process. Uh, the Fool in the Tarot cards. The Tarot is, a, is an esoteric uh, pathway of alchemical processes, very hermetic, and very it's connected to the Kabbalah, which all this is really connected together. But the paths, the 22 paths of the Kabbalah, uh, the, and the work between the uh, Sephira are are the Tarot deck, which is another one of those hermetic traditions that went underground to be protected and be kept, be kept secret. So you can actually work through the Tarot images, the 22 trump cards and see the alchemical steps we're talking about here and, and work with them. Uh, two 11-year cycles on the sun. Yeah, 20. There's all kinds of symbolism uh, in like that. That's, uh, that's quite true. The tarot 
is not uh, some fake psychic's way of working or anything like that. It may be used in the wrong way, but the tarot is one of the most profoundly uh, transforming uh, tools we have, really. And there's an alchemical tarot deck by Rosemary Guiley, a good friend of mine, uh, that, I, that I'd recommend. It has all the alchemical symbolism on it and also a book that goes along with that. The, the woman's name? Um, Rosemary Guiley, G-U-I-L-L-E-Y. And it's called the Alchemical Tarot, studying them. Um, even there's a fractal, uh, fractals in mathematics are chaos, uh, chaos generated. And what we found, if you can, if you can do a repeated calculation that only produces what looks like chaos, if you continue to do that for millions and millions of computations, all of a sudden order starts to appear out of all these uh, utter chaos. And that's what fractals are. And, and really, uh, in defense of computers, without computers, we could never see these images. They were outside. We didn't even know they existed because the equations that generate these generate chaos until a certain point. Near, as it approaches infinity, they start um, coming into patterns. And these patterns, some of these patterns reflect this process of change in the universe. In other words, this universal process in alchemy, uh, intuitive people are finding in chaos diagrams similar uh, similarities to that. You can order on the Alchemy Lab website, I think, uh, a fractal meditation video that has fractals to each of these stages that we're talking about to meditate on. So this is similar. This is typical of a calcination fractal. A lot of red colors and a lot of um, spirals, but still, still the focus on uh, on one point. If we try to work, and really, I think a shortcut to this is for this group is to do some meditation, so you can really get to feel it. Um, and let's talk about meditation. In in alchemy, the inner laboratory is where most of this work takes place, and that inner laboratory is a state of meditation. It's a state in the body that the alchemists went to to do their work. And it was correlated to what they did in the outer laboratory. So they'd meditate on changing matter in the experiment on the outside, just as they'd meditate on changing whatever the salt was they were working on, whether that salt's their own ego, or the salt is matter in the laboratory, or the salt is some spiritual con conjunct. Um, they worked with the energies in that way to dissolve it. And calcination is how it started, and meditation was a tool. Meditation in alchemy a little different than meditation in other traditions. Alchemical meditations are always active meditations. In other words, um, you may be going into that calm state and that relaxed state. That's really the first step of any alchemical meditation. It's what the alchemists call putting on their lab coats, that they were going into the meditative state. In other words, there was a feeling, a bodily feeling of relaxation and muscles that felt like a lab coat. And if you've done meditations, which all begin with this relaxed feeling in the body, with relaxing the muscles and relaxing the mind, it's like a weight settles over you that, that is very relaxing. It's like being in a coat a little bit. And I, I'm convinced that when they, they talk about putting on lab coats, which who cares about that you're putting on a lab coat in these texts, that they're really talking about getting prepared for that meditative state, which in the Middle Ages was completely outlawed. You have to realize that. Meditation was verboten. It was not a pra an accepted practice um, outside the church. Prayer was the only um, acceptable spiritual practice, and that, uh, that and a lot of times was really meditations. Medi the idea of meditation, I found, and I discovered this text in Egypt, 
Um, and I was really amazed. This is like 1300 BC. It's the first known description of meditation I've ever come across. It um, goes back that far. It's from an old Egyptian text called The Destruction of Mankind, The Destruction of Humankind. And it's not about the destruction of humankind. It's about how to avert the destruction of humankind. And according to this text, the way to avert it is to meditate, to reach this purified state, and to do the work during meditation. It's an amazing text, amazing alchemical text. And I'm just going to quote on the section that talks about meditation. Whensoever talk speaks to you and you wish to recite a composition on behalf of the sun, then you must perform a sevenfold purification for three sunrises. Whether a person or a group shall so proceed, you shall make your position in a circle, which is made beyond you, and your eyes shall be fixed within the circle. All your actions shall be composed and motionless, and your steps shall not carry you away from the circle. If you shall attentively dwell within the circle and observe with the eyes of your heart, you will find the path that leads above. Even so shall the image become your guide. For the divine sight has this peculiar charm. It holds fast and draws onto those who succeed and open their eyes in this way. Now, whosoever shall vocalize the sacred words shall visualize themselves as Toph or Ra in the redness of the dawn of his birth. Thus shall a thought exclusively occupying your mind be transformed into the actual state. And from this lesson, your house shall never fall into decay, but will endure throughout eternity. This old alchemical text, one of the oldest, the oldest is actually the Papyrus of Annie, which has a lot of uh, alchemical recipes, including a lot of recipes on beer, <laughs> which was like the most ancient text, written text we have, and it's mostly recipes on beer. This is about 100 years later, and they're talking about really profound meditation techniques. Um, dwelling in the circle is that sacred space that you make either in a group or within your own inner laboratory that is the hermetically sealed vessel when you go into a meditation. Nothing disturbs you in that circle, in that one point. And your steps shall not carry you away. Any of your steps, which are your thoughts, you shall not leave that circle if in that relaxed state or that meditative state you have an image of what you want to project. And we're talking pure alchemy now. Um, and you attach to that image the vibration of the word, you're reproducing that whole sequence of the universal creation from the sun behind the sun to mind the maker to the stone and to reality. In other words, it's a formula for creating a new reality, and it's all done through meditation. So even back in ancient Egypt, meditation was like a primary uh, tool of the alchemist. And it certainly is in the East. It's much more obvious in the East than it is in the West. But it was also done, uh, even Paracelsus, the most practical alchemist, used meditation extensively. Dissolution works with feelings. Calcination works with thoughts. And these two processes of purifying thoughts and feelings is really where we spend most of our lives. These two processes of dissolution and calcination uh, is where most people are just trapped, working through thoughts, working through emotions, working through all this baggage that we've got, uh, that we've accumulated in our lives, the hurts and the pains. Dissolution, though, Saturn and Jupiter are a pair. In fact, all the planets are pairs. 
Saturn and Jupiter work together. Saturn is about contraction and bringing uh, together, like it, like it tried to become a star, bringing mass together. Whereas Jupiter is about expansion. It's, it's the, 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 uh, the yang part of, of Saturn. And Jupiter is, the planet itself is a huge planet, and yet it's mostly gases. And the Jupiterian personality is, thinks itself big. It's a very royal type personality, but it's usually full of air. <laughs> There's nothing there. It's like tin. Tin seems like a wonderful metal. It's almost like gold. It has the same kind of sheen as gold, but it's cheap and doesn't last and corrodes and bends. And tin is a synonym with, with cheapness. And that's the Jupiterian personality. Although the Jupiterian energies are expansive and wanting to grow, normally the Jupiterian personality is, is uh, overinflated. thinks too much of himself. It's a very kingly presence. And uh, the antidote for that is working with water, working with feelings. The point, the point here is to remember about dissolution is very difficult. Uh, it won't be for you guys, <laughs> but it is in the world. Dissolution is about working with dark energies, and calcination is working with, uh, with consciousness. But the dark energies are feelings and emotions, things that we can't get a handle on, things that we are, are energetic in our system. So working in the darkness now is the goal dissolution. And that means by not having any idea or name for what's going on, but just to let emotions guide you, to free that energy of emotions bound up in your muscles and bodies, to free that emotional energy tied up in your heart, to release more emotional energy um, that's been tied up in chakras and knots in our being. And it's done by working in the darkness. And the best technique uh, for me as a very uh, solar person is depression. Depression is something that in our society, in our Christian background society that says, keep going towards the light. Keep going towards the light. Now, believe me, this would get me burnt in Iowa. I know it. But it's, it's about working with the dark forces. It's about working in the darkness with the feminine forces. The feminine is associated with the darkness because it's about feelings and it's about not knowing and it's about trusting energies, energy work. It's not about the salt of thoughts and, and building things that way. So the alchemists recognize, and you can see this, that's one of the first things that comes across in their writings. They're not afraid to talk about dark feelings and dark emotions and, and feeling depressed and at the end of the rope. And why? Because it was a technique. When you're depressed, when you're down and out in the world, you don't have the energy to support ego. So depressed people are very much egoless a lot of the time. And an alchemist would never take Prozac <laughs> to get through something like this. And I really, I know that there's medical doctors that would argue this to no end. Uh, there are indeed chemical signatures of depression, but in alchemy, that's just another signature that confirms what's going on. The alchemist looks for that material signature. There has to be chemicals there. There has to be something going on in the brain. Uh, the question is, what comes first? The spiritual reality or the bodily reality? 
they have to confirm each other because we're working on all three different levels. So in our society, in the modern American society in particular, um, depression is like the bane of the world, you know? You can't be depressed. You've got to get out there and you've got to work and you've got to be positive, you've got to be poppy, you've got to be full of energy. And when you're depressed and in that dark state, nobody wants to be around you. And yet that particular state is where you're the most real. It's when, when you, you are settled into yourself to the point when that's all you care for. Being in the soul, absolutely in the soul. And when you think of depression as a bad thing, see yourself as you really are. You don't have the energy to, to support any nonsense. Um, you don't feel like interacting or play acting or anything like that. So um, depression is an alchemical process that you can use. And, that's, and the alchemist definitely did that. She's saying, what if you're stuck in a state of depression or a state of uh, dissolution? And that's what it is. If you realize that a state of depression is a state of dissolution, it's a process. And it may seem like something you can't get out of. And you can't get out of it because the energies are forcing you to be there. There's always something good at the end of that tunnel. And if my advice and the alchemist's advice for being caught in a depression... And the reason it goes deeper and deeper is because you're putting that energy there spiritually somehow. And the only way to get out of that, depression's like uh, lead to an alchemist. It's heavy, it's down in matter, and you can't pull out of it. The only way to get out of it is action, some type of movement, some type of taking uh, effect. Uh, the alchemist called it working with vitriol, which is another name for, for um, sulfuric acid. It's a natural name Vitriol is a magical compound in alchemy because it does all things. It's an acid that occurs in nature. You can find vitriol actually out on gravel pits um, um, on, that have been out in the weather for a long time. It's a green, thick substance, and it's sulfuric acid, and it'll burn your hand a little bit. And that's how they discovered sulfuric acid was by distilling uh, green vitriol, a naturally occurring substance. So this was a magical substance for them. And they saw it as a cure to everything, and we'll see it on this diagram that um, vitriol cause action all the time. And the way to get out of this dark place, if you're really stuck there, was simply by taking action. So you're, you're in a depression, and you can't get out, and you don't feel like doing anything, and the world is caving in around you. According to the alchemist, use the vitriol somehow in your, in, in your body. Get out, jog, uh, build a house or a garage or a, a bookshelf, and just force yourself to do it, to get out of it. But, you, but by doing that, you're not um, relieving the spiritual cause of this. By doing that, you're simply pulling yourself out of the hole and into the light, because that requires you to use thoughts. So the cure for depression is thoughts and, and active thoughts. Um, certainly, this alchemy works on a national level. When there's a depression in the country, when there's darkness in the market, when there's a mood in the country that's different. I mean, I remember the Kennedy administration, and I remember the light that was generated there. And I remember other administrations that were in the dark and talking about war and talking about um, um, things. And the whole country suffers from it. It's like the Grail legend. When the king is wounded, the whole country suffers. So it, it, it like filters down what our government does into us. And that could be a cause of depression, too. That, that you have no control over. 
So if you're sensing things in the spiritual realm of the whole nation, of the whole planet, if you're sensing something of the whole planet, that could be part of your depression. So there's, I'm talking in depression, personal depression. That's always a message that's saying, get real. That's what it says. And I don't mean Dr. Phil's get real. I mean, get real, you know. Deep down, inside, real. Expose your ego for what it is and see what it is. That's the cure to personal depression. And that's what personal depression is calling for, that type of action, because there's something wrong in your spirit. You're not being true to yourself somewhere. You're not being true to that presence that we tried to expose when we get rid of ego and that empty cup. That's personal depression. Uh, a lot of people, now there are deeper things, and, and alchemists would call it actually sometimes putrefaction, um, where it's coming from your environment. And there's a lot of people who are feeling these changes on the planet today. Uh, and it's it's turning up uh, in their mental environment. Yes. He's asking if age is related to this process uh, of uh, depression, how it works. He can't see like a two-year-old being depressed in the world, but a 50-year-old, he certainly can. And that's a good point, uh, Doug, because there is an alchemy of our aging. Uh, Rudolf Steiner wrote about a lot about the alchemy of our aging. He believed that every seven years we go through another one of these. And, uh, <clears throat> and so there is that idea that we go through these changes. In fact, the whole idea of going through all these processes three times, three times seven being 21 of maturity, that you reach that point of growth. I wanted to make <clears throat> another comment. I, I feel like we're missing something here <clears throat> when we're talking about dissolution. Dissolution is not necessarily a bad thing. It feels bad when you're in a personal depression and your ego's falling apart and you're in that darkness. But the good thing about that is that you're real. I mean, you may not enjoy being there with no energy, but for that moment you're real and you're getting closer to that essence that we deliberately try to contact in meditation. And if you miss the opportunity to see what's there in this perfect state of depression, uh, you can really learn from depression is what I'm saying. You can really learn about who you really are. Now, there's depressions you can't get out of, and there's, there's times when you're in a depression that seems insurmountable. That's a good question. <laughs> yeah, she saw she saw disillusion as disillusion, right? At getting rid of your illusions, which really uh, that's what it is. That process, it's dissolving what's there. And if you don't do it alchemically and, and under your own control, the world's going to do it for you. Oh, just one. These are a few drawings of uh, the dissolution process. Uh, again, the darkness comes from the light of the sun. So in alchemy, the darkness is the light. It's the same thing. There's no difference. Just like in that light box, when you look at light, it's uh, it's invisible. It's darkness. When you look into the, when I looked into the light box, it was pitch black. So the light, the, the darkness wouldn't be there if if there was some if there was not matter there if there was not a body if there was not something in between the two. And the darkness is created from the light, and it's another form of the light. That's why the moon is such a symbol of, um, of the darkness, because it's reflected light. And that's the alchemical idea. And often it feels like you're drowning. Uh, the king or this ego personality is lost, drowning. And, and, and when you come out of a depression, you feel really cleansed, which is why I like to be in when I can get there. Because you come out... And, and it's a, it's a whole, there's nothing more refreshing. 
in fact, the really dark uh, putrefaction of alchemy, which happens a little later, is so refreshing to come out of that you almost want to um, stay in that phase, just as the idea that you're coming. I know this doesn't make sense to a lot of people who feel that person's bad, but I'm automatically in the light in my life. And uh, I, I, the light's too much in my life. And I seek the darkness of depression. I seek the darkness of being reduced like that. And that's just my alchemy. Yeah. I thought, what's the explanation for people who are in chronic depression and do they see their way to the end of that depression? Um, is that the problem, is what you're asking? Oh, but yeah. I think that in a, in a case of chronic depression, it's someone who you don't have to fit in the world, okay? And in this particular world, you're not fitting in, okay? So you have to make your own world. You have to live by your own standards. And you have to actualize yourself. Actions the cure to depression. So if, you're in, if you were in a depression and you, and you feel like it's constantly there and there's no movement forward, you have to move forward somehow in a different, unacceptable way, okay? So it's, it's like going off in a new tangent. You have to find something that satisfies that part because depression is caused by not being true to that part, according spiritually. It's, things have been constellated inside you that through your own unique nature, you're not fitting in the world, okay? And the, and the world's telling you silently that you don't fit. And that's coming down from the higher spiritual world. It may not, may not be in your own spirit, but it's around you someplace. And you've learned that lesson. I'm not talking about with you, of course. I'm talking about a person that's in a like depression. You've learned that lesson on the soul level, and you stop trying. And that's chronic depression. It's, it's, a, it's a continuous process. And when you stop trying, you're going to be caught in that because that's the last alchemical state you were in. The way out is action. Take a step in the opposite direction. <laughs> Do something that is totally opposite of the direction you're going in. Step out and say, I'm going to become, I don't know, a Buddhist monk. Something that is totally different from being a bank manager. You know? This is the opposite direction. But the cure for depression, alchemically, is always action. And a, and a chronic loop is an indication of a severe, um, a need for a severe action or radical action. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the bipolar disorder um, is actually, uh, it's, it's kind of a special case. I know that there are certain tinctures you can't take when you're bipolar. There's certain, like gold colloid, uh, you shouldn't take when you're bipolar because it accentuates um, the swings. So it's, it's spiritually, bodily, and mentally, it's a whole different disorder, which I find really interesting. And I think that the bipolar characteristics that are coming out, these wide swings, end up to a really balanced person. I think that once it's done, yeah, I think that, uh, that it's, uh, it's a special condition, I think, that deserves more thought than it's give, being given. Because uh, I know chemically it's very unique. 
both on all levels, body, mind, and spirit. So there's got to be something going on with the bipolar disorder. In a way, is that like um, the indigo children or the rainbow children that are being born, a different breed of, of um, spiritual or mental being? You know, the bipolar disorder was pretty much unheard of the last 40 years. It's really um, every other person who, who has uh, these characteristics seems to be um, energetically different than the rest of the species. HD is another thing, and also uh, dyslexia is another thing. There's, um, and I don't know. You know, I, I, I want to be honest with you. I don't know, but I think that from all the characteristics there, there's things going on in the brain chemistry that have to have a spiritual correspondent, and I haven't found it yet. And I've investigated things, and I've thought about things like uh, bipolar disorder, especially. And I know that there's bodily changes and, and mental changes and brain changes that aren't being followed in the normal treatment of it. Yeah. I, I know of one woman who's um, bipolar who's actually been exposed. Her mother was exposed to death on that hormone I think that all these things are indications of changing brain chemistry and uh, whether it's from the environment or it's from our world, okay? And there's, there's signatures there and there's correspondences there and all those brain things that go on that we're, that we're missing the message on, you know? And I, I think that that's a place for medical research and it's a place for spiritual research. And, you know, I don't have the capacities uh, to do that. Just starting the discussion with medical doctors is almost impossible, you know? <laughs> because we're treating... We're treating symptoms, you know, which is the craziest thing uh, to try and suppress symptoms, cure the disease. You know, that talk about illusion. Yeah, that's a good point. And, mm -hmm. Bipolar disorder is creating the extremes of the opposites in order to know them in one individual. Building something, building something. I see building something in the center. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a good Any other questions or? He's saying about depression that it, uh, it's been found that the physical um, characteristics seem to be chemical, and that's certainly the way uh, doctors treat it. It's a difference in neurotransmitters. And alchemy, that's a, that's a difference in mercury in the individual. Now, are we saying that you cannot treat depression with, uh, with psychology? Or with changing the mind, are we going? To, I mean, there's that extreme chemical view that it's all chemicals going on. Alchemically, the chemicals are a signature of the process that you look for in the body. In other words, the 
plus or minus of your serotonin chemicals that you're producing is a correspondence to what's going on on the spiritual level. So the work should be done in alchemy on the spiritual level and which and the mental level, which is next to it. So there's, I mean, there's still hope for some psychology to take place. To go in there and brutishly administer more serotonin in the brain, it just seems so crude to an alchemist to work that way. And that's the way modern science works. Now, I don't have the answer to curing uh, that type of depression or, or any type of depression, really, except to work with it as alchemists work with it. And we're talking about many different kinds of depression and mental states that are coming up. And yet, um, even where the most chemical signatures are there, I don't believe that injecting people with brain chemicals to balance it is the right thing because that's just unnatural. And I think that some of that, what you're talking about, is like signatures too, which is an chemical treatment. If you treat someone liver, there's, there's certain, besides the chemicals in there, it's a life force, so there's definitely alchemical sig uh, signatures in with it that, that are being fed. This is a really complicated subject, and yet I don't want to discount the alchemical therapy for it. Uh, and I don't want to just approach it from below with injections and, and um, gross things like that that go on. But this dialogue between medicine, especially with the current state you know, of HMOs and the way medicine's going, it really seems uh, my doctor is so depressed about things, and many, many physicians are that they're dropping out of medicine. Um, and it's all going to be up. Maybe that's a good thing because it'll be up to alternative healers to do their part. And uh, maybe that's a, that's a way of progress. As I mentioned, uh, dissolution and calcination are these two processes of working with thoughts and and uh, feelings, and it's where we're stuck, most of us, in our lives. Uh, the next step here is called separation. It's working with air, and it's a process where really it's much more aware, it's much more intellectual, um, where you try to objectively examine what you've gone through and dissolution and calcination and pick out the remains of what's left that's of value. And what's left that's of value are the essences of your own soul and spirit. And you identify these and you save them through an aggressive uh, will, a statement of will. In other words, you have, you've identified those parts of you that are genuine, those essences that are the basic energy patterns in your life and in your body and in your mind and spirit, and now you want to separate them out from all the dross, the drug, drags, and and uh, drugs too, probably, and, <laughs> and all this matter, this rejected matter. So it's a process of discernment. Alchemists during separation use filters and, and sometimes air filters and all kinds of different filters and, and picking things out. Um, separation process is the planet is Mars, and it's an aggressive masculine process where you have to have some objectivity. Um, the, the metal is iron, and it takes an iron will. It really does. Most people don't make it to separation. They don't have the stamina to say, I don't care anymore about what society says. I don't care what my parents say. I don't care what the church says. I don't care what my boss says. I don't care what my wife says or my husband. You, you have that commitment, that will, uh, to move forward and to, to continue with the alchemy transformation. It's a big step, and it's not, not just, um, I don't mean to imply that it's a, 
a pugnacious step where you have to fight with people. But you're just determined, and it could be a quiet determination to go ahead with change and to go ahead with processing these uh, energies within you. You've recognized that there's something of value in you. It's a new spiritual self-esteem, and you want to work with this, and you want to bring it to fruition. And a lot of the uh, uh, separation pictures show just that, picking up things uh, from murky waters and um, working with separating things. The sword is really the, the uh, symbol of separation, splitting open the egg of being and, uh, and working with those essences within. Uh, the sword, whenever the sword is seen in alchemical drawings, it usually has to do with separation. And there are three elements in separation. As I mentioned, spirit and soul, which are the red and white essences that you'll see in alchemy. Um, spirit being red usually and, and soul being white, and sometimes it's the opposite. The idea here is that white is purity and that red is energy, energetic essences. And the purity and energy brought together will create a new soul or a new, new level of being. So there's a new body involved here, too, in separation. You've regrouped your body. You've healed it, actually. And it's a new healthy body that you want to be true to. It's the same as you've healed the spirit and you've healed the soul and you want to be true to those essences. Those three essences are now all you care about and being true to those and working with them. In, uh, in separation, the tools here is attention and intention, okay? Attention is simply directing your attention willfully somewhere. Uh, consciousness is like a mobile center of awareness. And like I said earlier, most of us spend most of our time up here in the forehead and the cerebral cortex. Cortex, and some of us are back here in the limbic system in, in emotions. Wherever we're at, that's where we're coming from. Almost everyone comes from the front here. Almost everyone has got this interface between them and the world, and we're projecting out through this area. That's because we focus our attention here. That logic and, and conscious awareness is how we achieve things. So if you feel your attention in your body and where it can be placed, You'll feel it coming from your head in a lot of ways. Through your eyes. Through your eyes is a defense mechanism. If you just stare out into the, into the front of you and soften your eyes, just soft, try to soften your eyes a little bit and, and, and take away the daggers in your eyes that are between you and the rest of the world and soften your eyes and relax. Let your eyes just accept what's there without judgment, without using your cerebral cortex. You see through your heart relax your eyes and you practice this routine you'll come to see that things get not only clearer but you start seeing things in a whole different way almost like you're starting to see three-dimensionally by opening your eyes in this way in a relaxed way instead of arming your eyes in the world this is a real shamanic technique um, that is a, a technique in shamanic alchemy for separation for separating yourself from this game you've been playing so softening the eyes and relaxing the eyes and looking at the world in that undefensive light is a way of working with attention to free soul. And you can do that in your body too by moving your attention just uh, in a meditation from your forehead. Just move it to your right foot or your left foot, someplace where you rarely put your attention. 
you can move all your attention into one part of your body. And there are parts of your body that are just starving for attention because they haven't had it. And when you put your attention there, it's like a feeling of reward. Uh, it's such a feeling of relaxation. My right foot is, is very pleased to have me pay attention to it because my feet are something I've never paid attention to. I've just taken them for granted. And by doing this type of meditations, um, my, I feel healthy in my feet. I feel my, my feet are wonderfully complicated things that I've ignored. All kinds of strange bones and, and, and actions and supporting this big frame. Uh, my feet are wonderful. And there's parts of us we just don't accept in that way. And we're, we're a lot more than just up here. And the miracle of it is, there's a lot more wonderful things in your body than your feet. There's the whole sexual complex going on with energies there. And in the, in the inner laboratory, you can go there, and nobody cares what you do there or what you think there. And you can feel that energy directly. You can feel it in the Muladhara chakra. Um, this chakra where the, where the kundalini is, is uh, coiled and ready to spring loose and release that energy and release it for healing in your own body and store it in, in, the, in the Swadhisthana or the Manipura or the Tanti. There are these chakras in our bodies that are energetic presences that we just ignore. And attention is the way to, to tap into that energy. And attention and intention work together in, in separation. So you can, you can actually free the energy, the sexual energy that you have, to move through different parts of your body. You can free that chi or chronic energy that comes in your lungs by paying attention to your breathing. It's all about paying attention, directing your consciousness to where you want to heal and what you want to do with the energy, and having the will or the intention to move it. So those two are like one comes from soul, intention, and the other comes from spirit. I'm sorry, one comes from soul, attention, and one comes from spirit, intention. Spirit is that masculine part that's saying, I will do this, and that will come. And attention is that relaxed acceptance of the reality of where you're, you're, where you're placing your consciousness. So attention and intention are tools of separation, and really tools throughout the rest of alchemy now. You have to develop the willpower and also the staying power of attention. Again, another fractal diagram uh, for the for the separation process. Moving up through this this turning point of conjunction, which is um, Venus, the planet Venus, uh, the metal copper, which is the conductive metal. In other words, conjunction in alchemy is about bringing these essences together and balancing them. Okay. In, in, um, in separation, we've torn them apart, we've separated them and isolated them, and now in conjunction, we're bringing them back together. That's what spagyrics mean in alchemy. It means to tear apart and bring back together, that word spagyrics. And that's exactly the process uh, uh, of between uh, separation and conjunction, between Mars and Venus. These two work together uh, to balance each other. In conjunction, you are creating a new presence, a new body, a new chemical, a new salt, a, a new incorporation of spirit. Sometimes the, the uh, Renaissance alchemists called it the over-self. You are creating a presence that has the objectivity to, to over 
always see yourself and to look at you from a new new viewpoint. And in that over self, you're not you're only incorporating the energies of soul and spirit, or the or the genuine parts of you. So it's in a way, it's it's kind of like having a, a birth, a spiritual birth. The alchemists also call it the, the philosopher's child. Um, the lesser stone is another name for it. It's a whole person, finally. It's an integrated person. The alchemists saw it as the, the, the uh, elements are balanced in you. The elements of fire and water and air and earth. In other words, your materialistic, earthly, grounded being and your air, spiritual, up above being and your emotional being of fire and your um, emotional being of water and your conscious intellectual being of, of uh, fire. And these are all balanced with and through that fifth element of uh, quintessence. So in in Jungian, uh, well, in, uh, in psychology as a whole, conjunction is the integrated personality, okay? It's kind of where psychology stops and transpersonal psychology begins. And it's really the turning point um, for all of these alchemical processes. Conjunction is where you start working above. You've been working below in the body and, and, and really in the darkness of the body. Now you're turning in towards the light. The images of conjunction uh, are often about uh, opposites, masculine and feminine. Here are the winged lion and the, the uh, wingless lion or the volatile and the fixed parts of us. Um, wherever pairs like that are shown, pairs copulating, uh, sometimes shown floating in water, sometimes flown, uh, shown floating in air. Um, a lot of sexual imagery uh, in alchemy at the conjunction stage because it's bringing together, although normally whenever you see uh, naked individuals in alchemy, that means you're talking about spiritual forces. The church did not necessarily believe that, of course, but but that's what the alchemists believed, especially with the sun and the moon as heads. And what's going on there is the red and the white coming together too. And the red is crawling out of the water. In other words, the passion coming out of the, the, uh, the body. And the birth is above in the clouds. It's, the birth is a spiritual birth. Uh, the, she's giving birth in the clouds above there. And that correlates with the, the processes going on in the body. What does that mean? That means you're creating the over-self spiritually and this new psychological presence, which is um, the, the signatures are new confidence in the world that you're, you're balanced and you're ready to go out in the world, you're ready to talk, you're ready to have relationships with people, you're ready to work in the world. In the body, there's other changes taking place. So remember all three levels. And in the body, the alchemist assumed and expected bodily changes. Sometimes they call it a second puberty, uh, where you go into... Uh, a new level of uh, initiation, actual changes in the body where the body would become more spiritual and where uh, the brain and different energies in the body would become more spiritual. So it's not only a psychological rebirth and coming together, it's spiritual and it's, uh, and it's mental too in psychology. And this is another uh, picture actually the cover of my book uh, shows the conjunction from the first matter below the chaos uh, into the vessel of the newborn uh, child of the philosophers. 
to the vessel above, which is the final crowning achievement in alchemy, which would be the coagulation or the actual birth of this independent spiritual being that come that came from the, the shell of your old self. Another uh, diagram that got alchemists in trouble. This uh, this shows a king and a queen and. It's not just about sexual energies, it's about sublimating the energies. You probably can't see this, but the queen is looking on, and the king is looking on. There's kind of a distressed look on the king's face, and it's because the page is bringing in an offering to the child his phallus, his severed phallus and testicles. And he's offered it to the child. <laughs> now, the church... You know, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this is all symbolism. It's about from this marriage of your soul and spirit, you have to sacrifice the masculine part has to sacrifice its energy, and that's this spiritual energy. And it's given to the child that's going to be born. It's given to the new birth, not given to the the soul. Not just balancing that level, but sacrificing that. And this could be very much a tantric exercise where you're where you're sacrificing sexual energy, actual sexual energy, by not uh, uh, climax, climaxing, basically, an orgasm with a partner, where you are milking the energies from that partner and not having sexual orgasm. That's how the East approaches this uh, conjunction phase, in very sexual terms in tantric alchemy. Um, so it's very bodily. Uh, in this particular drawing, though, that was the point to be made, that that you have to sacrifice to, uh, to have the birth of this new child, this new spiritual presence, you have to give it energy somehow. You have to sacrifice of yourself. Ride the wave is an alchemical. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, yeah, I know that, yeah. Tantric alchemists uh, are amazing in the, in the feats of performance they can go through. But it's also a very spiritual um, discipline. It's a different approach, but uh, but they're working with the same idea that you have to sacrifice that energy for a rebirth. Uh, on, the, on, the on this pillow? Yeah. Okay, we've got um, this uh, between the king and the queen here is the idea of the spiritual birth, okay? In other words, this head, this small head of a child shown here, is their agreement that he's that they're going to sacrifice the sexual energy. And it's being given to the new child. And the other child is the complement of this, okay? The, the birth must have a soul and spirit. And it's showing that by this figure down below, which is called the rebus. It's a two-headed figure in one body. So it's just another... Um, the whole message here is that you're bringing soul and spirit together on level on two levels. Soul and spirit have to come together to manifest something new, sulfur and mercury. And it's becoming this two-headed rebus that we're going to see right now because that's the symbol of the next stages of alchemy. It's the rebus, two heads, a masculine and feminine head in one body. In other words, it's not just a, a, a man and a woman anymore. It's a man and a woman in one body. A complete, basically a balanced person. And 
evolutionary wise, I'm not sure what the symbolism in, is there, but like Akhenaten, perhaps it means uh, androgyny for for the new the new birth. And in fact, the iatrogen or the the uh, the person who has both characteristics of male and female is the symbol of the final coagulation. <laughs>